Welcome, I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Scenario's Cultivate the Soul podcast, stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view the full episode list, please visit scenarios.org slash podcast. Hi. I'm Sunya Shroff, and I'm a filmmaker and storyteller. I cultivate my soul by listening deeply to stories. Today, we are joined by Sunya Shroff, artist and producer. Sunya is an Indian American artist who pursues her passion for storytelling through visual art, public installations, a novel publication, and now Fremont, her first feature film. As a champion of the world's displaced sisterhood, Sudnya has made it her life's mission to tell stories that have the power to move and change our subconscious narratives of fear around those who don't look or sound like us. Towards that end, she's built a community that has joined forces in this endeavor of storytelling to affect a powerful and much needed social awakening. Sudnya's full bio is available on our podcast website. So, Sunya, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to see you and have you here. Thank you for inviting me. So I'd like to get us started by asking you to share a story from your life that helped you understand what matters. I think I go back to being in India as a young person, the oldest granddaughter in what we consider a joint family. So it was my great-grandfather, grandfather, his children, and then I was the fourth generation. We all lived in a family home together. It's become more and more uncommon, but it used to not be that unusual to be around grandparents on a daily basis, especially in India where I come from. And I think um, my early memories that I keep going back to what shaped and continues to shape when I come to any fork in life and I have to make a decision is the story that my great-grandfather was very lucky to have been one of the only great-grandchildren to have lived with him for five years. He left an impression, and then I think it was stories that were repeated within the family that I give him the benefit because I was only five years old when he passed. So I'm not sure that I can count on him telling me the story that I remember, but it came from him. And that story was of our family's displacement. So we grew up as immigrants in a part of India India is a large country. A lot of people are now aware because we have technology, but to go and look it up. But India has many states and each state can be as large as a European country. So we have different cultures, different languages, different value systems across these different regions. So in the early 1900s, we had another pandemic before our current COVID pandemic, and it was the plague. And that came through the British goods that used to come via Hong Kong, We were still under the British colony and my great-grandfather was a trader and his entire town of Baranpur was impacted by this disease that came via the goods. And there was the plague that affected them, which we know in hindsight, but at that time, they just started getting sick 
and dying. And he lost his mother and nine siblings within 48 hours. So not knowing what was going on, my great-grandfather literally was the last survivor in his family. He had to leave us and it was a survival instinct. And he came to this town that called Pune, which was about 300 kilometers south. So a completely different region. And that is that story that was told to us was not so much about the trauma of loss, which is very interesting now that we have so much going on in the world. And I have listened to stories of the Holocaust. I've listened to stories of the African-American movement in the United States. But we never talked so much about the trauma of loss as much as the stories of how we were welcomed by people that did not recognize us, that didn't speak our language, that didn't share the culture. And they are stories of assimilation and integration, hence the paying forward because we were welcomed by then strangers. And that allowed our family to start again, like my great-grandfather to start again. So I keep going back to those stories and that particular story. And it's taken me a long time to even refine and go back to the very essence of the story that has stayed with me. It hasn't been that of, oh, I have to be mad with somebody because that disease came to us when we didn't know what it was about. It wasn't the upset that, oh my goodness, or the horrific nature. There was sadness about the loss, but it was like, we are not the only ones who were impacted by loss. There were so many people who were losing family and to things that were unknown. There was a certain sense of acceptance that, okay, there's something beyond our control and it happens, but how to pivot and what to gain from that story. And I feel a lot, a lot of gratitude that what I have been able to embody is the positive, you know, the welcome and the kindness. So I think that is what definitely shapes everything and how I see the world. Well, that's a powerful story from your family history. So if you think about what fills you with purpose or what makes you feel passionate about the work that you do, tell me about where that may come from. Again, I think everything's so incremental. I did live in my own soft and protected bubble in India. I went to school, I had education, I had a lot of opportunities that I was very aware of even while I was in India because I had friends from all different aspects of life, parents who had different kind of either jobs, either labor jobs or white collar jobs. So we did go to a very secular school and I was quite aware of the privileges of living in a family that was doing relatively well. I feel like it was incremental in the fact that I don't know that I learned so much or my purpose came from what I studied as much as what I observed. And everyone in my family, because I was, again, lucky to have a large family, an extended family that was pretty present in my daily life, I saw how our values were not only a matter of conversation and talk, but actually walking the walk. So it was also very clear to me that no one person can do it all. So we kind of divided and shared what we could do, including earning and supporting the family and then paying forward. So that part of the value system that whatever we earned was to be shared was just like something very fundamental, not something that we ever questioned. I think, and then you grow up like that. You don't question it till 
much later and then you live in a different culture like what happened to me i left india so until then i just took it for granted that the whole world worked like that so it was like for example my grandfather worked in the world of education so he was very clear that while he ran his business and he was making money the part that actually filled his soul was the combination of creating something in his business creating innovation creating products that were consumable by the world so that he could also pay bills but also the fact that in the process observing that women didn't have education especially in our community and for him women post independence post 1947 which is the world my grandfather lived in pre that was my great grandfather i think the focus on women getting educated was important so he in our town of pune is even today remembered for somebody who did a lot of work around getting education available to women and then as his first granddaughter i wrote that wave like i grew up not even recognizing when as a younger me that that was not an option for the previous generation i just went for it because the sky was a limit it had been set in the family and at the same time my mom who was the daughter in law she was focusing her time while working and on the assembly lines in the factories that we had and we manufactured embroidery thread so we were in the business of making yarn so my mom worked full time but then i saw that what really gave her like charged her and recharged her was she worked with orphans in communities where we in india we have orphanages through her and just tagging along with her because sometimes she wouldn't have childcare she just take me with her i watched and i observed so i think i had figured very early on that there was without anybody telling me that there's a part of life where you have to do things that you have to do because you have to pay bills and you have to live and then you do things that kind of fill you with contentment and there can be hard things and they may be difficult things and there are things that you don't personally experience in your day to day life but then i think you learn empathy and so i think in a sentence for me that was being proximate being proximate to the actual challenges that society has i think my family gave me that gift of not even consciously recognizing that that's empathy but that you can feel for others what you may not experience oh thank you for sharing that so sunia you're an artist you're a filmmaker you're a storyteller what inspires you both personally and also what inspires you in the art you create i think i've always been drawn to beautiful things beauty and the concept of how we define beauty the subjective and the objective way of beauty and i think it has always fascinated me how there are so many voices in the world and then the louder the voice definitions get preset and that impacts how we start believing and defining things that are abstract and i think of art and beauty in that same abstract mode and i think the inspiration for me comes from really listening to these definitions that different people have for what they consider beautiful whether it is through books i have read quotes that i read talks that i hear people that i meet or just taking walks in nature why something that seemingly on the surface of it that no one else may have given importance to suddenly becomes important to me also leads me through curiosity to why that is and over the years i think that is what has inspired me to keep investigating to keep listening to keep reading and understand i think that is why i've 
so drawn to the whole concept of subconscious narratives is that there's a lot of what we perceive of the world through the senses that we have eyes ears nose you know touch feel everything comes from whatever narratives that exist inside of our brain because you know the processing of the data that comes to us i think happens deep inside not so much in our cerebrum and then the cerebrum packages it like i think what i'm doing right now with you i'm packaging it into something short and concise to communicate but i know that it is much more than that and we all experience it every human i think every animal everybody every being i believe experiences it and then we try to communicate the best we can things so like purpose and inspiration comes from exploring that and using that to bringing to each other that feeling of abundance and love i think that for me is where my purpose and inspiration comes that i really feel like i'm a just an absolute hope fanatic that i think once most of us can understand that inside of us that understanding that the world is abundant and that when there is abundance and no fear of scarcity there is no other feeling but that feeling of love for each other and not the romantic love that hollywoods and the bollywood films show but that feeling of just equanimity harmony that you know we are, we are not uh, drawn into violence within ourselves too just starting with inside of us all the negative voices inside of us i think that's sort of the beginning and long answer to your short question is i think my purpose comes from that little seed that there's so much possibility in that seed yeah wow i think it's beautiful to hear the stories and how you thread your life's experiences to your sense of inspiration and purpose and i want to ask you what role does storytelling and art and filmmaking play in your life both for you personally and also what is the change that you seek to make in in doing this work i look at it as in helping myself starting from inside of me which has been a work in progress i'm going to be 15 in a few months i feel so privileged like i every day is a gift and i think what i want to do with the gift and the gifts that i have received over my lifetime of the aha moments of the challenging times because life doesn't discriminate the universe doesn't discriminate you could be born in wealth you could be born in privilege and yes you win that biggest lot- lottery at birth but there's all sorts of challenges that are going to come your way if you live long enough so which has been the case for me that i've lived long enough but at every step of the way i feel i have been able to look at that incidents and grow and grow in a way that has allowed me to be kind to myself even if i have made mistakes when i have made it's not even if i have made mistakes i have stumbled but i had to start with learning to first be kind and gentle and good to myself and in learning that i feel like i had aha moments which i hope that for the rest of my time in this human form i'd like to share that that there's a lot of suffering in the world that happens inside of our mind there's enough outside too but uh, most of the suffering is in internal and there are coping mechanisms there are methods and ways to deal with that suffering and trauma so that we don't project it out so if we could start and that i think is my bigger purpose is that i don't think we need to find a solution to solve the world's problems one person can't do it and cannot and we are not meant to do it and it's liberating it's actually very freeing to know that 
However, we can do it one person at a time, starting with ourselves and show up in kindness and love rather than suspicion and fear. And I think that that is contagious, just as contagious as maybe the feelings of fear can be. So I had the honor to see your film recently, Fremont. I saw you last summer when you came to the Czech Republic. The film was shown and featured at the Carlo Vivari Film Festival. And it's a beautiful story that's still touching me and my heart. It's one of those stories that perhaps I'll speak for myself, just sits with you for a while. Tell me about your inspiration and what you hope to do with this film, putting it out there now in the world. I started on this project in 2018. Actually, the project rather came to me in 2018. It had already started in 2017. My producing partner, Marjini Mogimi, at that time got connected to me because she was looking to make a film. She was an Iranian, and I say she was because she has since then passed. She and Bob Jalali, who's uh, the British-Iranian director of Fremont, wanted to tell the story because they themselves are from Iran, and Iran and Afghanistan share a border, so they were already sensitive to the stories of how Iran has not necessarily always treated Afghans appropriately and nicely. And Babak always says in his Q&As that his early memories have been that of guilt for how his people have treated their neighbors. And this is his fourth film, and he's always talked about the Afghans. In all of his films, he's touched it somewhere or the other. So when they were looking to make this film, it's a Bay Area film. Clearly, Fremont is a town in the Bay Area. They reached out to some common, somebody, Marjane reached out to look for an Afghan to help her bring authenticity to the story because they were Iranians and there's a natural backlash from the Iranian Afghan community if an Iranian's trying to tell an Afghan story. During that process, she met someone who said, I don't know any Afghans who are working in the Afghan world, but I know this Indian lady, Sudhnya, who is actually, she works in refugee camps in in Greece, and she's been doing fundraising for a few years. So that's how I've heard of her for the Afghan cause, and I can put you all both in touch. And that's how we were connected. I invited Majane to come home because I was already very passionate about storytelling for like 20 years. I've been telling stories in different media, either through public installations or paintings and doing exhibitions and fundraisers with my own works of art or even publishing a novel. Just basically through different media, I'd been doing storytelling. So when I was introduced to Majane, the idea, it had already you know, slowly become clear to me that to increase the reach, film is a great medium. But, you know, it wasn't like it was a dream for me to become a filmmaker or be in films. I was already in my 40s by then. But it was very intriguing. And I said, I'll support her. She has a lot of experience. She's made, she imagined had made seven other films that I watched and I love her way of telling stories. And so that's how we started on this film. Imagine it got sick. We had COVID. There was a point where the story was in jeopardy of not happening. And that was when I think in an, I call it an arrogant and ignorant moment <laughs> and an emotional moment for sure. I promised her I'd get this film made. And that's why I call myself like an accidental producer. I was always going to help with it, like a script doctor or bring authenticity to the stories because my experience in the refugee camps had made it very clear that even though we uh, the media is talking about the current war du jour. The Afghans have been the ones that have been plundered and violated for the longest period of times. And any displaced area of the world that you go, 
about 75 to 80% are still Afghans. So being proximate to the people is when I realized that, wow, we have that time Syria and the war in Yemen was like in the news, but actually the Afghans were still getting displaced. This was even before the United States had yet to pull out in 2021. That's what brought me to the story. I was very excited, but I didn't realize what kind of a role I'd end up taking on. Again, the universe always has a plan that is much bigger than you can ever imagine. And that's something I tell my children and any young person that comes my way that you can only plan so much and then be open because our mind will limit us. But if you stay open, there are many, many more possibilities. And I'm really grateful that that's what happened to me. Then I got deep into it and the script was very exciting to me because it ties back down to the kind of stories that shaped me. As I was going through the period where our country was in the United States was getting divided politically, there was that whole Muslim ban that happened in 2017. That's what took me to the refugee camps in Greece because I felt like my conscience was not clear sitting here in the United States while these are the people who had protected us and our army and our military in Afghanistan for 20 years. And here we were saying that you are no longer welcome here, but you have put your life in danger to protect our military. And now you're no longer able to come. So that's what took me there. And I think it was that I love Bobak's storytelling because I think it comes from that similar place that I saw that when you get angry and you are really upset and then the whole narrative is that of revenge and it's tit for tat, I just don't see a solution. I feel like we just keep repeating the patterns. We keep projecting trauma and we just keep creating more pain and more suffering. So I was very, very clear that whatever stories I wanted to be involved in and telling needed to come from that place of gentleness of the positives that come through any calamity. And none of that is possible unless we create space for quiet. You know, when we talk about meditation or even being quiet, it's because you create room to reflect. I felt that with my children growing up in this generation, I could see so much information being thrown. It's almost like everything is spelt out to a point that it then becomes impressions on your subconscious narratives that shape you. And you think you are actually an independent thinking person, but we are not. We do get impacted. So the more we hear the same thing, that becomes the truth. And in order to not be that, it was very clear to me that this film, Fremont, embodies that. And I know we got a lot of pushback in our test screenings that it was too slow. It was very different. The world is not going to be listening to this. The world has changed. It feels like a movie from the silent movie era. Like, you know, just like a lot of uh, questions around the pace. But I I trusted my instinct and Bobak's instinct and, you know, my producing partner, Rachel, Three of us, we really made, you know, calculated decisions around keeping the pace and the music and the quiet and the negative spaces. Because one thing I know for certain, if I was making a commercial film to make money, this was never going to be it. Then I needed a villain, a hero. I needed like a lot of other things that the people are already primed. And in order to do something different, we were going to take risks. And this was the risk. If the general population was saying this wasn't going to work, somewhere we had to believe that there are. And I feel like this has been like my concept study to even show the philanthropic world why putting money into storytelling is important 
And why I say philanthropy? Because commercial filmmakers and investors are never going to invest in my film. And they were never going to bring the money to me. So I had to reach out into the world of philanthropy to get people who thought like me. They were willing to redefine the metrics of success, not with box office numbers, but with reach, not with how much money and how much materials we could create, like could be consumed so that we could give you returns on your investment in terms of dollar amounts, but your returns would be measured in how many lives we touch and what are people saying and how many people are getting moved. And these are not things that you can easily measure. So I've tried to measure it by creating a vertical. We had the fortune cookie as a a tool that was available. And so I put in questions with QR codes to see how many people actually went to those QR codes. And the questions were around mental health, around women empowerment, around the Afghan situation, around the history of Fortune Cookie. Again, there are nuances. In a 90-minute film, you can't touch everything. And you actually don't want to spell it out either. People are curious. By nature, human beings are. If you give them time, and if you just give them a nudge, There are so many people who didn't know that fortune cookies are not a Chinese creation, but that it's a product of San Francisco, for instance. And even more people who are not aware, even those of us who live in the Bay Area, are not aware that the fortune cookie is not a Chinese cookie. It's a Japanese cookie. And it was tied to the previous dark era in the United States where we interned the Japanese post Pearl Harbor. And it was their abandoned machines that were kept functioning by their Chinese people by those who uh, neighbors. And that's how the fortune cookie was born. So there's nothing that exists in vacuum. Every story ties to another story, to another story. And that's how our subconscious narratives get affected. And we grow. And we have aha moments. That is what I have hoped to do with Fremont. And about 11 months since our world premiere in Sundance, I am feeling just overwhelmed with gratitude that it has been received really well. It has been received beyond my expectations. I'm a first-time filmmaker, so it's a miracle, honestly. But the fact that a lot had to come together, there were no film or a story happens because of one single person or even three people. It's a team. So we lived the values that we were showing on the film, in the film, even on the set. So the 60 young people, most of film crews are very young. I was like the oldest on the crew. So I insisted that we were going to do Indigenous land acknowledgements, which was new to the young people. They said, we don't do this. It's a waste of time. There was that sense. And I'm like, no, it's just something we are going to do. And now I find them posting about their film, Fremont, proudly. This is the Fremont family. And they're watching it in a different geography. I saw some of them make Indigenous land acknowledgements that we are seeing it over here. Because this is how we change and we become accountable for our history and how we don't want to perpetuate it, right? So there are small steps like this. I feel very content and I feel fulfilled that I was able to do that. Wasn't always easy. It still is not always easy. Had a lot of naysayers, starting from, you know, some people that we were working with who were experienced, who didn't believe that we would even make it into Sundance, let alone win awards or get theatrical distribution. So it feels good even to show younger people. I think it helped that I was not young because that kind of just helps you turn that negative voice off and keep moving. I hope that at least a few younger people will learn from watching what we did because 
like I said, I have seen in my life that I've learned mostly from osmosis and watching, not so much because someone told me, especially definitely not if my parents told me. So that's what Fremont has been a huge gift to me in terms of even discovering our lead. Tell us about the lead, because I know that's important to the story. And I knew that from you before I watched it, and it does make it more significant when watching it. So Anaita Walizadeh, our lead, uh, is an actual refugee who was evacuated by the Biden administration in August of 2021 when we pulled out. She was a journalist, and uh, that's why she was targeted by the Taliban. And when she came here, she just saw our posts looking for that description of our lead on social media, reached out to us. We did a Zoom call. She didn't speak English. Baba loved her. I loved her. I said, my experience in refugee camps working with young Afghans will help her. I'm happy to help her lead through learning the script. And that's what we did. But the bigger gift was... Yes, Anaita got her first job and then she became the face. Her It's clear that she's gifted. This is a talent she will proceed with in her future. But she had a widow mom and six children who were left back in Afghanistan. As we were working together, that's the part that became clear to me that it was affecting her mental health. She would often have naturally uh, stress attacks and like panic attacks. And for the investigation, I figured that that was the reason because every day she'd get different news people knocking, they were hiding in different homes because she had been evacuated. So her family became targeted. So again, when I say the universe always has a bigger plan, me being an accidental producer, I feel like I was put there for a reason. My work in the refugee camp had given me connections and a network of people who know and are able to provide asylum to people who are in danger. So I was able to get them to Pakistan They escaped to Pakistan with valid visas. We were able to get them there. Then they had to hide and then wait because I started looking for allocation and an amazing foundation in Toronto called Manmeet Singh Bhulla Foundation. I got connected to them through uh, somebody I knew and they were able to offer allocation for this family. I can now talk about it. I haven't been able to speak about it before because they were in hiding. But on October 4th, almost exactly a month ago, I I just came back from Toronto a few days ago. I was able to welcome them to Toronto. It took a long time, but just in time before the Middle East has literally erupted in flames and, you know, Pakistan's deporting every possible Afghan, they have reached to safe lands and they are now in Toronto. So I feel like those are the bigger, these are human lives. So... A film is a story, and I hope it'll touch many people. But for me, it's one person at a time. It's Anaita. And then what happened through me? It could have been somebody else too, and it would have still happened. But it was, so it's a gift to me that I feel grateful that I was in the right place at the right time. I love the layers of the stories that you've shared over this time together, because we started out with you telling the story from your grandfather, at least your memory of that. And then as well, the stories that you're telling through film. And I really loved what you said around the space for quiet and how film can actually provide that space and the discomfort that that may create for some people watching it. And then, of course, the story of your lead actor in the film and the story of your involvement in her family. So storytelling has so many layers and it's it's a beautiful space to work within. How can people learn more? I mean, I encourage any listener who has not seen Fremont to go see the film. 
but how can they learn more about this work or other work that you're involved in, Sudhya? They can always write to me, email me, sudhya at sudhyashrop.com. I'm usually good to respond within a week to 10 days, but I like talking to people personally because I feel each one comes from a different place. And I'm super happy to just connect them to the right people or lead them to the right resources. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all of these stories today on the podcast. Thank you, Melissa. What I loved about this conversation with Sudhya is her passion for storytelling, the stories from her own life experiences and those around her, and how she measures her success in the number of lives she touches. 